We're so glad that you are here. We're not going to know what to do with all that parking space, are we, right? All that space, 12 acres of land. We're so excited about uh, the new building that's going up. If you're new, we've got a new building that is going up on Bailey Boswell Road. We're excited to move. We're looking at about... Oh, somewhere around six to eight weeks out, and that video was made a couple of weeks ago. You'd be shocked if you were in there just in the last few days. It's already outdated. They've done so much work in these last few days. They're going to be working on the flooring this week. The walls are already done. It's just amazing, and we can't wait to make the move. Are you ready? I know you are ready, so keep praying that everything stays on schedule. Again, looking at around six to eight weeks, and as I was watching that video this week, the Lord was just overwhelming me with just the fact that are we not truly a blessed church? Aren't we blessed, church? And we're blessed. We've been blessed in this facility that God has blessed us with over these last several years, and we're going to be blessed in the new church building that we are going to be moving into soon. But overwhelmingly this week, I thought, even if we never had a building, are we not still blessed as a church? Amen? God has blessed us so much, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning as we continue in our series called The Comeback. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and go with me to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to be looking here in Joseph's life. We've been, we've just been talking about this man's life and just looking at all the many different lessons that apply within our own lives as well. Well, back in 1860, there was a shipwreck that occurred off of the coast of Lake Michigan. Ed Spence was the name of a young man. He was in bed whenever he heard the news and was startled out of bed by someone coming in and sharing this with them, that there was a ship that was going down right outside of their town there, and there were 430 passengers on that ship that were being plummeted into or plunged into the, uh, the, the cold Lake Michigan there in, a, in freezing water. And so when he heard this news, as so many others did, he sprung out of bed, ran to the shore. It was a three-mile run just to get to the shore there so he could begin to help with a rescue mission. Obviously, back in that time, there were no rescue helicopters or motorboats going in and getting people. Those that went in had some boats, but many of them went in to the water and just tried to help get as many people out of that water as they possibly could. In an overnight period, a six-hour period where Ed Spence did this, where he went over and just over and over, back into the water, dragging people out, he saved at that, just in that six-hour span 15 people's lives on that evening. He saved their lives. And at dawn, when they thought they were through, they were warming themselves by a fire there at the shore. And he was warming up when he heard someone yell that they saw two more people that were clinging to some some wreckage out in the water as they were freezing there. And he ran and jumped in the water again and helped get those folks to the shore, saving their lives as well. Of the 430 passengers on that ship, and this shipwreck back in the 1860s, only around, I think somewhere around 90 survived. The rest of them drowned. And of those 90 that survived, Ed Spence was responsible for saving the lives of 17 people. He saved 17 people overnight. Years later, he was asked by a reporter from the uh, LA Times, uh, was asked, uh, was there anything that stood out about that particular event in his life, anything specifically that that he noticed and that he wanted to say anything about. And he said this. He said said that one thing definitely stood out to him. He said, after lots of time to reflect over these years, he said, of the 17 people that I saved on that night, he said, not one person came and ever said thank you. 
Not a single person. And that really obviously had impacted him if that was the thing that he wanted to say. Isn't it amazing whenever you think of stories like that and scenarios where maybe someone has been rescued or some, someone has done something for someone that is so incredible and, and you think about what happened there? What happened to those folks? Why, why would no one take the time to say thank you in a scenario like that? And we don't know what happened there. Maybe, maybe some of them had intentions, maybe with just the hectic pace and the frantic pace of life or all the things that were going on. You know, the reality is that sometimes we can, uh, maybe we have intentions, but we never follow through with them, right? I mean, I even would say it this way, is that you can sometimes not be intentional enough, right, about those intentions, and, and just maybe life kind of crowded in, and maybe someone meant to do that, and it just never happened. And, you know, I realized something this week, and, and we think about just some of the various reasons that may, maybe some were not very grateful. I don't know. We don't know for sure. But I started just thinking about my own life this week as I knew what I was going to be speaking to you about this week. And I realized this about myself, and I'm just going to just kind of lay it open for you, just be honest with you. I hope you'll kind of be the same way as we go into the scriptures together is this, as I realized this about myself, is that I can have a tendency to gravitate towards the negative. I have a tendency sometimes to get to focus in on, on negativity and things that maybe are wrong in my life. And sometimes, as a result of that, can become ungrateful. Sometimes I can act ungrateful. Sometimes I can really, really focus in on maybe one thing that's wrong and forget all the things that, that have been actually right in my life or the blessings that God has placed in my life. I realized this as I really focused in on this on my life this week. Nobody had to teach me how to be negative. Nobody had to teach me how to complain. That comes pretty naturally for us, wouldn't you say? I mean, it's like it just is a natural expression for many of us. In fact, grumbling or griping or bellyaching, self-pity, those kinds of things can really just worm their way into our thoughts and really kind of preoccupy our thoughts. And I also realized this, nobody had to or has to remind me to complain for the day. Nobody has to say, don't forget to complain about things on this evening, you know, don't forget this. But isn't it interesting that when you look in God's word, how many places in the Bible God has to remind us to be grateful he reminds us to be grateful, to have appreciation and gratitude and thankfulness. Unfortunately, a lot of times those things can kind of take the, the back of the line in, uh, in our minds, right? And I got tickled as I was doing research this week. I came across this little cartoon. It just, just struck me funny because it's really much like life. I think, do we have that one there? There it is. Okay, you've got one line, complaints. And then you've got the gratitude line, and obviously there's nobody in that one. And if you work in customer service, you feel that, right? You understand that. But that's really a lot. It made me laugh because that seems to be a lot of how life is for a lot of us. We have a lot of complaints. We often can gravitate towards the negative. We often can complain about the things and focus on the things that aren't right in our life. And we all have something to gripe about. We all have something to maybe, you know, uh, that, that, we're, that we're not happy about that particular thing. It's easy to fall into a pattern of ingratitude. And when we look at the life of Joseph, um, when we dig into his life and we follow his story, you know, as we've looked at this since the beginning of this year, it's been one tragic situation in this man's life right after another, right? 
I mean, one thing after another. He's sold into slavery, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery by them. And then he ends up in Potiphar's house, and he's a slave now where he was a favored son. And you know how the story goes. He was doing things right. He gets promoted. The next thing you know, he resists the temptation of of having an affair with Mrs. Potiphar. And instead of being rewarded for that, he's accused of rape. Then he's thrown into prison. I mean, as we said last week, it's this roller coaster ride in life, right? And if anybody had, uh, as, he's, as he's forgotten in prison by those that he even helped there, if anybody had a reason to complain or to be angry or whatever, I mean, we look at Joseph and he certainly had a lot of reasons for this. As I've looked at this overwhelming characteristic and I've really studied his life and as I've dug in on his life, there's something that really stands out to me about Joseph. In light of all of the negative things and the the traumatic things that this individual went through, and here's this characteristic that really stands out to me, it's an absence of bitterness in his life. I mean, it would have really been easy for him to get bitter and to become angry or to have a woe-is-me kind of attitude, right? It would have been easy to think uh, uh, about Joseph and read about Joseph in this sense where he's an angry person and he carries himself with a lot of anger because of all the negative things that have happened in his life. And I'm not declaring that Joseph was infallible. We know that he was a man. We know that he was a sinner like we all are, only Jesus was sinless, right? I'm not saying that that never happened, but in the scripture, it seems to be just blatantly absent, that he's not, a, he's not bitter. He's not carrying himself with bitterness. He's not complaining. There's not this spirit about him, right? And it's something that what we do see within him is he's somebody that d- certainly walks very closely with God, both in the good times of his life, and we also know this, that what anchored him in those difficult times was his relationship with God. He stayed steadfast in that relationship with God. We see a man that is broken, We see a man that has been humbled by God, who has learned through all of this process, this 13-year process that he would go on these ups and downs. We see that he's become utterly dependent upon his relationship with God. We learned that last week when we saw that he finally was promoted to the palace, right? He becomes the prime minister, and he has every opportunity to, to say all kinds of things, but what does he do? He points Pharaoh and the rest of the Egyptians to God, to God, to God, over and over and over again. You know, and I think he, he perhaps had learned this secret of contentment like Paul talks about in the book of Philippians, where Paul said, I've learned to be content with my, my situation. Whether I have much, I've learned to be content with that and recognize the source of that blessing. I've also learned, Paul said, to be content whenever I have very little. And I'm even struggling in this. Joseph seemed to have learned this, Right? He seemed to have learned this just like Paul, the secret of contentment. You find an absence. You don't find self-pity. You don't find the woe is me. But what we do find are a couple of striking gestures of gratitude. And I want to show you that in the Word today. As you know from last week, Joseph was promoted from this 13-year roller coaster ride of all of these injustices, all of these hardships, And in God's perfect timing, as God's getting Joseph ready and God is getting Pharaoh ready, he intersects these these gentlemen's lives together. He brings them together as Pharaoh has a series of dreams that he was struggling with. And as you know, Joseph, by God's grace, is given the ability to interpret these dreams. So he's moved from the prison to the palace in an instant. 
He's promoted instantly. God was the one to bring about the deliverance and Joseph pointed everyone to God. He's made the prime minister and he's given authority over all of Egypt as we read last week. He's given the country's charge account. He's given new clothes. He's given even a brand new ride. He has a new chariot, right? Okay. And he, I mean, he's given everything. And through his humility, God elevates him to this status. And now I want you to see that he's about to be blessed even more, not only with all the material possessions, but God is going to bless him with something that's even more precious to him. Then Pharaoh, it says in Genesis 41, 45, Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zaphonath Panea. He also gave him a wife whose name was Asenath. And she was the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And so he's been blessed not only materially, as we saw last week, but now he's been blessed with a beautiful wife. He's been entrusted with a family. He has all of this power. He has all of this status now. He has all of this material wealth and money at his fingertips. And one thing that God has really just shown me in this story is how important because of that, the breaking process that God would take Joseph through uh, because he was being entrusted with this great blessing. Because here's what I know. Many a man has not been able to handle the promotion. Amen, right? Many a man and woman has not been able to handle the blessing whenever God has poured that out upon them if there's not been a proper breaking process or when they've been blessed materially or whenever they've been given power. Many a man is not able to handle that. And so God took Joseph through a breaking process, getting him ready for this abundance of blessing. God's going to continue to bless him, not only with a wife, but look at what the scripture says in verse 50. During this time, before the first of the famine years, those were coming, that's what came as a result of the dreams, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget. God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me, what church? God has made me fruitful, even in this land of my grief. So God blesses him with a wife, and now God is going to give him this great gift and this this blessing of children. It's a big responsibility to name a child. Do you feel that whenever you were par- as parents and you, you had a baby on the way and you're going to name that child? Did you feel that? Did, did anybody argue about that? The names, you go get na- baby books, name books, and you're looking at these things. And I'm just curious, how many of you, you like the name your parents gave you? Would you raise your hand? You like your name? Like your name? How many of you, be honest, okay, how many of you, you don't care for your name so much, right? You wish you had more control over that. Anybody? Raise your hands. My mom and dad were in the last uh, service, and I had to say in the last service, good job, mom and dad, good job. Then I had to say, but i got to be honest, because I've struggled with my name for much of my life. I'm just saying, all right? It's a good name, good name, but I just want to tell you that I've I've had struggles in my lifetime uh, because of my name, especially as a child, mostly because of what my name would rhyme with, as you can imagine, as the children (laughs) would give me grief. 
the Banana Fana Foe song did me a lot of damage. I'm just saying. Some of you know that song. Stop it right now. I know what you're doing. Stop it. But, but I struggled with that some, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't know. Sometimes when I introduce myself, I have to say it over and over again. It's like people aren't expecting Bart or whatever, okay? And I'll say, Mar-, you know, they're like, Mark? I've had people say, Mart? Yeah, I'm Mart. That's me, you know? <laughs> and, and I struggle with it, and I'm like, who na-? Yeah, and so I've struggled. There may have been some fights when I was a kid because of some of the torment. Not only did they call me Biscuit, but they desecrated my given name. And so I'm just saying, it's kind of given me struggles. And even as an adult, from time to time, I still might struggle with it. The, one of the, the groups of kids at one of the schools, the local school, schools, sweet kids, they, they did a valentine for Pastor Bart, sent it to me, but this is how it was addressed, Pastor Bark Howell, B-A-R-K, as in rough, rough, Howell, I'm like, really, did they think my parents named me Roof, really, and I'm like, but still, it was a sweet gesture, but I've, I've struggled with my name. It's a big responsibility. Naming a kid is a big deal, right? Which makes you wonder what, what Governor Jim Hogg was thinking whenever they named his daughter Ima, right? And uh, it's like, didn't think that one through really well. But you go to great efforts to name your kids, right? You want to think that one through. And Joseph did that. He really thought deeply about the names of his children. These names that he would give his children, they were a testimony of God's gratitude, of, of, of his gratitude to God. It was a testimony, and this guy went through rough stuff. We know his life story. The betrayals, the, the, just the injustices that he went through, and the hurt that he must have carried, certainly in his life. And he is in a better season in his life right now, but we know that he went through great hurt and pain. And you know he's still carrying this, but, he, but, but here's the thing. He realizes as he's gone through the breaking process over those 13 years, he realizes that the current blessings that he has in his life are a result of God. What God has done in his life. He's been given a new position. He's been given a wife. He has been blessed with children. And you know, when he was in the prison, you know Joseph at times must have wondered, will I ever even get out of here? Will I ever even have a family? And now he finds himself in this place of blessing. He finds himself being blessed with sons, with children here. And, and, and they're interesting names when you look at the intentionality of how he names them. I wonder if, if Joseph and Asenath ever argued about the naming of the kids where they were sitting around and he's like, honey, I've been, I've been thinking about what I want to name our son. And he stops there and she's like, well, what do you want to name him? And he says, God made me forget. And she's like, God made you forget the name at this moment? No, 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 no that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, no, I want to name him, God made me forget. And she's like, she probably, you know, looked at him like, like an Egyptian wife, look at a Hebrew husband, right, and be like, no, 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 we're not, I don't know, but honey, how about this? How about we name him uh, Ramses? Let's go with that. Or Tut. How about Tut? Or Bart. That's a good name right there. That's a good one. It's going to be popular. And he said, no, no, listen. We're going to name him God Made Me Forget because here's the deal, dear. In spite of all of the hardships in my life, in spite of what other people have done to me, 
God has still blessed me so much. And every time I see my sons, every time I speak their names, I will choose, I will choose, I will choose to remember God's blessings. And I will choose to remember his sovereign plan over my life. That's why he named them this. He said, every time I say their names, I want to thank God. Every time I hear their names, I want to be thankful to God. I want to be grateful to God. These names were expressions of gratitude. God made me forget in, in spite of all the struggle. It's not that he wasn't still carrying pain because we'll see this, but he's, he's focusing on the positive in his life. He's focusing on what God has blessed him with. God made me forget all my troubles. In light of the blessings today, and God has also made me fruitful and productive in this land of affliction that I have been in. If you're taking some notes, here's just some things to write down. And I just, I noticed this just right off, is that Joseph chose to be intentionally thankful. He was intentional in his gratitude to express his gratitude to his deliverer. And I wondered about this this week as I, as I was thinking about this in my own life, as I was thinking about Joseph. Do you think God was blessed by the names that Joseph gave his sons? And here's another way of asking this. How important do you think gratitude is to God? How important is gratitude to God? Let me just take you over to the New Testament quickly in Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. This gives us a little insight into the heart of how God feels about gratitude, how Jesus looks at thankfulness and a thankful heart. Jesus is in his ministry years, and he's walking about, and he's ministering to broken people, coming alongside them and helping them. And he comes across a group of some very broken individuals. They were a group of lepers who were ravaged, ravaged by this terrible disease of leprosy that would, would they would lose limbs and their, their face would be disfigured and they were as a result of this skin disease it was a horrific kind of thing they were untouchable in society they were outcasts they were not able to be around other individuals and when others would be coming close they would have to declare themselves out loud unclean get away from me and this is what they would have to do people ran away from them they looked down upon them with disgust when they saw them, their sores were, were, were just terrible and the disfigurement that they dealt with. And they certainly had a physical toll that they dealt with. But one of the things that I was just thinking is, can you imagine the emotional toll this must have had upon them? And how they must have had to deal with that and, and the lack of physical contact, the fact that they couldn't even be around their families anymore. They were removed from the town and put on the outskirts. And can you just think about what that would be like? And as people avoided them and ran away from them, Jesus always pursued and engaged people like this, which should speak volumes to us as a church, right? Jesus ran to people like this. Jesus got involved in the lives of people that were broken like this. And this is what it says in verse 11. As Jesus continued toward onward or, or toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance because that's what they were required to do, crying out to Jesus. They're looking to Jesus for hope and healing. Jesus, Master, we know you were able to do something. Have mercy on us. And he looked at them. 
And it was a look of compassion. And he said, go now and show yourselves to the priests. By the way, this is what they were required to do by Levitical law was to go to the priest and to, and to show themselves. The priest would declare if they were able to be, if they were healed and able to reenter society again. And as they went, as they're going, all right, he heals them as they're going. They were cleansed of their leprosy. Now, we can read through that, but this is a miracle. This is a life change in these individuals' lives. Their lives are being transformed at this very moment. And Jesus stands there, and he watches them probably go over the horizon, and they're going to go back and kind of uh, reunite with their family members. And and Jesus is wondering, is anybody going to say thank you? And a little time passed, a little more time passed. And I wonder if the disciples were like, come on, Jesus, let's go. And Jesus, I wonder if he was there and he was like, let's wait, let's see what happens. Let's see if anybody says thank you. Let's see if anybody has a grateful heart. I want to hear some of their stories about what happened because of the life change. I want to hear some of the, what happened in their families. Let's stay and let's wait. And it says in verse 15, one of them, one, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him. Notice the posture. It's a humble posture. Fell to the ground, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked the man, didn't I heal 10? I thought there were 10 among you here a few moments ago. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, the Samaritan, right? In other words, what he was saying, the others who were Jews and were looking for the Messiah, this one who was a Samaritan wasn't even really watching for this. The rest of you know better, and yet nobody returned. You should have known better to come and to, to understand the significance of the Messiah and what he's done, but nobody returned. And Jesus said to the man, the Samaritan man, stand up and go. Your faith, he says, has healed you. And I, as I read, read that story, as I thought about what happened in the, the shipwreck at the beginning of the message today, where were the other nine? Where were the, those that, do you wonder what happened? What happened to those folks in that process of healing, in that process of deliverance, in the process of rescuing? And if I'm honest, when I look at that and I say what happened, when I look into my own heart, what I discover is some of those answers. We don't know the real reason. We don't know the specific reason. But when I look at my own life at certain times, I wonder if maybe they were preoccupied. I wonder if they got too busy to be intentional here. I wonder if they got distracted catching up with others and got focused on other things. And, you know, maybe they were too busy telling others about their healing that they forgot to thank the one who was the source of their healing. I don't know. You know, maybe there was some arrogance with some of them. I don't know specifically. Um, but, but it requires, whenever you're going to have a grateful heart, it certainly requires humility, It does require humility because you're actually acknowledging that someone had to help you or do something in your life that no one else could do. One thing is very obvious, all right? That's speculative what I'm saying to you right here. But one thing is very obvious. And what is obvious in the story is that there was a lack of thankfulness and that it was noticed by Jesus. Did you see that? He noticed it. He pointed it out. It bothered him. Back to the question, does a lack of gratitude 
Uh, how does God feel about a grateful heart, right? Whenever, whenever I look at this, what the story uh, somewhat indicates, I think, is this, is that it seems this way that maybe, maybe a majority of us, as we go about our lives, maybe and many of us go about our lives in a very ungrateful kind of way. Maybe we go about with not a very thankful heart, and we don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying it's a fast a hard, fast 90% rule, although that was the case in that story. But I think the point is that, is that a majority, oftentimes, we can forget to act thankful. We can forget to be thankful. We can get distracted. Maybe there's certainly in our culture and maybe even back then because it's just human nature, a sense of entitlement. Maybe there's a sense of self-centeredness. There's definitely a lot of ingratitude in spite of all the blessings. A good question to reflect upon in light of these stories is this. Here's your question. Do you struggle with appreciation depreciation? Do you struggle with this? I really had to examine my life this week. I really asked the Lord to make me very sensitive this week. And by the way, that's, that's... That's a big prayer right there to say, Lord, show me this. I knew I was going to be preaching on this. And I'm like, I want to see, do I struggle with an appreciation, depreciation? And here is a way to test this. Here's a way to gauge this. Do you want to know how much do you complain? And that is what I asked God to show me this week. I'm glad I didn't have a video camera following me around. Because I realized as I was sensitive to it this week, I realized how much negativity came out of my mouth. I realized how quickly that would happen. And I'd be like, whoa, what just happened here? How did I get negative, right? How did this happen so quickly? Especially I was really tested by this yesterday as uh, there was a track meet that my daughter was running in. Uh, It was cold yesterday and raining and windy. And it was sideways rain. And I said to Hope this week, I said, the Lord's been kind of showing me how much I can be negative. And she kind of gave me a look and didn't say anything. She maybe knew better, you know, or whatever. But as we were sitting there yesterday in the cold rain, sideways rain or whatever, and I told her this, you know, I was like, man, it's cold and it's raining. And I started murmuring and grumbling and she just kind of gave me the look. Right? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow. Yeah, I went to complaining fast, and, and she's kind of having fun with this. I must admit, we were having fun. It's, it was a fun banter back and forth. She was like, at least we have a daughter running in a track meet, right? Those kinds of things. And I said at one point, I said, boy, this side of my face, because it was sideways, is so wet and cold. And, and, you know, and she gave me the look again. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. And, you know, I'm so thankful that I even have a face. That's what I said, right? <laughs> And she's like, I, and I am grateful as well. You have a face, you know. And that's kind of where we were going with all of this. And just we, we, we started having fun. But, it, but the point is this, is that I realized, I realized that a lot of times I really can have, and here's a good test, a grumbling heart. Do you have a grumbling heart? Yep. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and an honest one, right? And an honest one and transparent. A grumbling heart. And what does that look like? What does a grumbling heart look like? It's one where there's complaining. You can gravitate towards self-pity. Ultimately, it's ingratitude. And it is ultimately rooted in, oh, this one hurts. It's self. And it's pride. Pride. 
right? We feel like, we won't say this, but a lot of times we feel like we are owed something better. You ever, you know what I'm talking about? Like, why at this point, why am I, are you kidding me? And if you live with a grumbling heart, what that is going to mean, and this is, you're going to suffer in this right here, is that the traffic will never move fast enough for us. Feel that one, right? The food will never be prepared well enough for you. The unspoken thought is this, this universe will never be good enough to deserve someone like me, right? That deserves better in all of this. A grumbling heart really focuses much upon himself. It's much of an inward focus. A grumbling heart is a grumpy heart. A grumbling heart is an angry heart. It's one that the bitterness that, that maybe you, the things that you're bitter over, they begin to kind of emanate from your life. It's a, it's a heart that has a short fuse with other people. It's easily irritated. There's this overwhelming idea that the universe does revolve around me, and whenever it's not revolving properly, well, then I'm going to let everybody know. I want everyone to know about this, which, which ultimately what that is, that is a prideful heart. It's a prideful heart. Henry Ward Beecher said this. He said, a proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks that he gets as much as he deserves. I mean, the reality is if we really get what we deserve, that's not very pretty. True? According to Scripture. The mentality is I am owed something better. I'm owed God, you owe me. Others, you owe me. That's to be contrasted. Do you have a grumbling heart or would your heart look more like a grateful heart? A grateful heart. The focus is not so much on yourself, the inward. The person sees this is a person who is awakened to the daily gifts of God. He sees the beauty in the sunrise, the beauty in the sunset. She realizes the blessing of shelter and the blessing of abundance of food. And, and we may not live in a perfect country, but we sure live in a land of opportunity, right? And blessing. You recognize those kinds of things. And the focus is not so much on what I do not have, it's on how much I've already been blessed with. It's not a comparing heart. And when he is blessed further, he realizes that ultimately, like Joseph was, was expressing, that God is the ultimate source of all of our blessings. He's the source of this. When you have a, a grateful heart, what you're going to find is that you're going to have a joyful heart. You're going to find that you're going to be more patient with other people. You're going to find that you're not as easily irritated with others because you have a thankful heart because your response to God's grace is that you also show that grace to others. That's a response, right? There's a humility in that person's life. It's not that you won't have problems. That's, that's not a denial of this. There is a, a faith and belief, though, that even though in the midst of my problems that God is still in control, God is working in my life, even in ways that I can't see. It's, it's, it's this difference of feeling thankful versus being thankful. Because here's the deal. A lot of times you will not feel thankful. Our feelings are not dependable. They are not reliable. The heart is deceitful above all things. It is, if it is a, it is a choice, is what it is. Write this down. Thankful people choose to focus more on their privileges than their problems. 
We still have problems. It's just what do you fixate on? What, what, do, you, what do you tend to gravitate towards? Do the, 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 the things that are wrong or do you, do you have perspective in being able to say, you know, yeah, that's wrong right now. I trust that God's working, but I also know this, that I've been greatly blessed. It's, a, it's, it's this grateful heart. By the way, as we were sitting in that tr- track meet yesterday, this won't be up on the screen, Hope rattled off the scripture that she said was her favorite scripture of all time. And here's what it is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what she said as I was complaining about how cold the side of my face was. She said, do everything without complaining and arguing. And then she smiled at me, right? And <laughs> do everything without complaining and arguing. We actually, we were having fun with this yesterday. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. The the point Paul is making is that when you don't complain and you choose to be thankful, you are going to be dramatically different than the world. You say, how can I stand out as a Christian? Start by watching your complaining. Start by looking at your gratitude factor. That will make you shine like a bright star in this world. It's a choice, right? It's a choice. It's a, a, do you have a grumbling or grateful heart? It's convicting for me. It's challenged me this week because I realize how much work I have yet to do in my life. This is a heart that trusts that God is even working, even in the difficult times. This is a heart that chooses to say that even on those disastrous days, like many of us have, God is still in control, and that God is still working, that God is still sovereign. I was, as I was just kind of reading about this this week, I was reminded of this story again that I love so much about Corey Ten Boom, just one of my heroes in the faith. I talk about her a lot because her story has impacted me just dramatically. And as you know, as she wrote this book called The Hiding Place, she shares about how she and her sister and her father were placed in a Nazi death camp back during World War II. They were hiding. They were Christians, and they were hiding Jews in their home. They were discovered by the Nazis, and they were put in one of the concentration camps there. But even as they were in the concentration camp, they learned. They learned to be thankful to God, even in the hardest of times. And this convicts me so much because I know that I've never been through anything like this. And I know that I most likely will never go through anything like this. And yet these women were thankful. I want to just share with you an excerpt. She says this, as they were in the concentration camp, she was writing about the unbearable conditions that they lived in. Barracks number eight was the quarantine compound next to us Perhaps as a deliberate warning to the newcomers were located the punishment barracks. From there, all day long and often into the night came the sounds of hell itself. They were not the sounds of anger or of any human emotion, but of a cruelty altogether detached. Blows landing in regular rhythm, screams keeping pace. We would stand in our our ten deep ranks at attention, with our hands trembling at our sides, longing to jam them against our ears to make the sounds stop. It grew harder and harder. Even within these four walls, there was too much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering. Every day, something else 
failed to make sense and something else grew too heavy. And then she said, however, in the midst of all of their suffering, they had a Bible. And they had this Bible and they noticed that, that in, the, in the midst of these Jewish women, that as they began studying this Bible and they were Christians and they were having this Bible study, that other prisoners were being drawn to them because of the Bible studies and they would come around them and Corey writes this, they were shining like bright stars is what was happening. Corey writes, they gathered around the Bible like waifs clustered around a blazing fire, like a star, right? The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and the truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. And then she tells about how she and Betsy were moved to barracks number 28, where Corey said she was horrified by the fact of their living conditions, what it would now be. She said that they had filthy straw beds and platforms where many of them would be crammed onto those platforms. And on those platforms in the straw, it was swarming with fleas. How could anyone live in such a place, she says. But it was Betsy who discovered God's answer. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. These are Betsy's words. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. We're to give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to give thanks to God for every single thing in our new barracks. Corey said, I stared at her and then around me at the dark, foul-aired room, and we began to thank God. They made a choice. We began to thank God that we were still together. We began to thank God that we had a Bible. We began to thank God even for the horrible crowds of prisoners around us because that meant more people would be able to hear God's word and ultimately the gospel. And Corey said, and then Betsy thanked God for the fleas. The fleas, she said. That's too much, she said. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me thankful and grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. And fleas, Corey, are a part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between tiers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time, I was sure Betsy was wrong. (laughs) Interestingly enough, as it turned out, if you know the story, you know that Betsy was not wrong. She wasn't wrong. The fleas were definitely a nuisance, but they were an unseen blessing after all. Because of the fleas, the women were able to have uninterrupted Bible studies in the barracks with a great deal of freedom, never bothered by the Nazi guards coming in and harassing them because they discovered that it was the fleas that kept the Nazis out. And Corey shared that it was through those fleas that God protected them further from abuse and harassment. And now, she says, because of those fleas that dozens upon dozens of desperate women were free to hear the comforting and hope-giving word of God. 
Through those fleas, God protected these women from even more horrific things, is what she says. Right? God used this. Grumbling or grateful? There's a lot to grumble about right there. As I read that this week, when I look at the lives of Corey Ten Boom and Betsy Ten Boom, when I look at Joseph, when I look at these kinds of people I discovered this week, and maybe you'll see this in your own heart too, I have a lot to learn about gratitude. Right? And choosing to be thankful. Choosing to be thankful. I mean, God really convicted me this week. I had to repent this week and just say, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for an ungrateful heart. We all have those fleas, right, that kind of are in our lives. There is not going to be a flea-free life. You're going to have those new, new, you know, those nuisances. You're going to have those things that you don't want in your life, those unpleasant experiences. But we learn from lives like these that gratitude is a choice and that it's something that God, that greatly pleases God because it is a sacrifice of praise before him. It honors him when we, when we praise him in spite of our troubles. Do you have a grateful heart today? Do you have a grumbling heart today? What would your life look like if you said, as a response to what you've heard today and communion today, what if when you have communion you said, God, would you make me aware of if I'm grateful or a grumbler? Maybe today some of you need to repent like I did this week. Maybe some of you, this would be an opportunity to get this right in your life. Maybe you realize that you're not shining like that bright star because maybe the negativity that really just comes more out of your life than than living those clean and innocent lives before those around us. What would your family look like if you made a commitment as a family to say, let's help each other with this? What would our church look like? What would our community look like, right? As we live in this community, if we as a church really watch this area in our life and live with gratitude, live with gratitude, giving thanks to God, being real, but yet also understanding that God has blessed us. I thought this week that because of Jesus, as we will celebrate right now, because of Jesus and what he did, that we all, without Christ, are spiritual lepers, right? On the outside looking in, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, that he cleanses us. He brings cleansing. Will we be like the one or like the other nine? Will we come and give thanks today? Because of Jesus, we went from hellbound to heaven. We went from sinner to saint. We went from lost found we went from nobodies to somebodies because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, right? It's all because of his grace. It's a gift. It's a privilege for us. This is what helped Joseph move through his past was a grateful heart, a grateful heart. Today, we can be like Joseph as we take communion. We're going to be intentional with that. The reason Jesus commanded us to remember is because we are so inclined to forget. So when we remember today, and you take the bread, and you think of the broken body of Jesus, 
and you take the cup and you drink and you think of the blood that was spilled, begin to think about what kind of heart do you have? Grateful heart or grumbling heart? Communion, the Lord's Supper, recalibrates us. It brings us back to gratitude. I want to just invite you to prayer with me at this time as we pray together. Our worship team is going to begin to come forward. And ushers, if you will go ahead and move to your places. While they are doing that, if you'll just go ahead and keep your head bowed before the Lord and just begin to do self-examination of your heart today. In a moment, as you feel led, the ushers will direct you. You'll go on the outside aisles to the closest station where they direct you. And then you'll return to your seats with your bread and with the juice today. Today, we're going to remember that 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 bread represents the broken body of Jesus. And we're going to give thanks for, for that. Jesus took this juice today, but it's without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sin. None. We'd still be lost. And so today, just examine your heart. His grace abounds. Are you thankful? Begin to thank God right now for all the blessings in your life. Just begin to worship Him right now. Thank Him first and foremost. If you're a Christian, thank Him for the salvation that you have. If you have a family, thank them. Lord, for your family, your spouse, your children. Provision. Place to live. The Lord just really spoke this to me this week in my time of just repentance with him. Was this, that he saved me. And even if he never did a single other thing for me. Jesus is enough. Father, today we thank you. Just as on that night as scripture says, when you were betrayed you still gave thanks is what the scripture says. And you broke the bread. Jesus' name.